Podcast Studios. This, this is After 9 with Scott and Kat. Hey now. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of After 9. This one today is going to be a solo Scott episode. Kat will likely be back tomorrow. She was scheduled to come in today. We didn't find out till about 5 o'clock that she wasn't coming in. Uh, she's dealing with some stuff, but I, I don't want to freak anybody out. She's fine. Health-wise, she's good. Uh, her family is good. It's uh, it's something else that she had to deal with today. And I'm sure that she will explain when she's back. She says tomorrow. I'm not so sure. But either way, when Kat returns, she'll explain why she's off. But that's okay. Kat's not here, so that gives me an opportunity to do a solo Scott episode of After 9. I know that not everybody loves these. You're used to something, you listen to it every day, and that's great. We really appreciate it. And it is a little different when Kat's not here, but it does give me an opportunity to talk about something that I really like to talk about. Politics, the middle class, and Canada. There's a lot of stuff going on right now, and and everybody is angry. Ooh. I'm sure you feel it too. I'm sure you feel it in your daily life. And you know, there's probably some things on your mind that you wouldn't mind having a discussion about, but you got to feel people out, right? You got to figure out, hmm, what side are they on? I.e., if I bring up the fact that it's pretty cool that uh, Donald Trump is doing so well in the race to become the Republican nominee and eventually run for president again next November... I should be able to say that. But there's some people who, as soon as they hear Donald Trump, even if they're not exactly sure why, will get all uppity about it. I hate that. I I really wish that we could be in a place where we can have civil conversations. I, I think that the world's a better place when we can debate freely and we don't have to worry about what the other person's going to think of us and and we can just share our points of view and absorb what the other person thinks and then carry on with our day. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's a healthy discussion, a healthy debate. We'd been doing it for years, but it stopped sometime in the last, I'm going to say about five, six years, sometime there. Last night, uh, Tucker Carlson, who used to be a personality on Fox News, he is a longtime journalist and reporter. He was doing an appearance in Alberta, uh, two of them in total, and he's appearing with the Alberta Premier, Danielle Smith, and, and he's talking about Canada. And normally, I don't love it when Americans come up to Canada to lecture Canadians about life or about how to run a country. But I frankly feel like the people that are running our country have completely lost their way. It really feels sometimes like they're not really working for us, like they're working for someone or something else. Maybe that'll come up again later on in the pod. Let me play just a little bit of Tucker Carlson last night talking about one of the many issues that's affecting America and Canada. If you haven't noticed, there are so many parallels right now between America and Canada. And I think that that's by design. Can't quite figure out why, but it does feel like it's by design. Uh, What's a good example? Guns. We don't have a problem with guns in Canada. Let me repeat that. We do not have a problem with guns in Canada. Now, there's a hell of a lot of illegal ones that are circulating that somehow got over the border. They're being sold openly on the streets to gangbangers. That is a big problem, but that is not something that you can tackle with legislation like the government's ban on guns did. I was just at a shooting range the other day, Range 519. It's right on the Cambridge-Kitchener border, 
Real great place, nice facility, really enjoyed my experience there. And it gives you an opportunity, if you've never fired an actual firearm, to go in and they show you how to do it safely and and they they show you the facility and, and all the great things that you have to do in order to shoot safely. I think that's the best part of the business is how well it's run, how professional it is, and the opportunity that it does give people an opportunity to fire a gun that they might not have fired. This is a bona fide sport around the world. But we have a war on guns in Canada that we imported here, even though there's no problem here, because the Americans have a big problem with guns. In Canada, I think you probably know, it is a long process, which includes a cooling off period, which includes a two-day safety course that you have to take. There's money involved in getting your license. You get vetted by the RCMP. You have to get interviewed by your local police force. There's a lot that goes into owning a firearm in Canada. The rules we had in place pretty much were the gold standard. And no, we didn't have a huge problem with guns. But the government made it out to sound like we do, and they used the U.S. as a backdrop. It seems like they're trying to create the same issues in Canada that exist in America. Immigration is another one. Well, the U.S., for whatever reason, seems hell-bent, this current administration, the Biden administration, on letting in as many people as they can as quickly as they can. Well, Canada doesn't border any other country on land except for America. So how are we going to import a whole bunch of people? It's not like we can tear down the wall and just say, come on in. So we have got to let them in through other means. And, and last night when Tucker Carlson was in Alberta, immigration was one of the things that he talked about. This is a 40-second clip of last night in Alberta. Give it a listen and think about it. If they're taking away your voting power by changing the population of your country, which they are doing, and no one wants to talk about that, Canada has the highest immigration rate in the world per capita. And shut up, racist! That's not racist. I don't care if you're coming from New Zealand. I don't care if you're taking the population of Stockholm and moving them to Canada. If you change the population of the country, you change the country. And you dilute the voting power of the people who are vested in that country, the people who are born there, who have lived there long term, who understand the history and the culture of the country, who are bought in. And all of a sudden, their vote means much less. It's math. Not only do you change the voters, you also uh, devalue the vote of people who not just lived here for a long time, but also paid to build the infrastructure in this country. Uh, what Tucker Carlson is saying there is right. We are letting a lot of people in, and that is changing the landscape of our country. What does it change it to? We don't know yet. We're really not sure. In fact, we're not even 100% sure how many people live here now. There are so many people here that shouldn't be here that we're not even sure how many there are. Some of these people will become Canadian citizens. Some of them are going to get deported. Some of them are just here trying to make as much money as they can, make and take as much money as they can, and then maybe if they're told to leave, they will. Maybe they won't. There's really not a, a, an active hunt on for some of the people that are here illegally. But this mass immigration problem, again, we created it in Canada. It didn't need to be this way, driving up inflation and driving up the cost of housing. And once again, yesterday, the Bank of Canada confirmed that that's part of the reason that inflation is still stubborn and part of the reason our interest rates are so high. It's housing, it's government spending, and it's tied to immigration. Well, why are we doing this? 
Are we doing it just because the Americans are doing it? Again, it's not apples to apples. It's not the same situation. We have gun control here, and it was working quite fine. The Americans, very, very different. So we imported their problem here. When it comes to immigration, they're letting a ton of people just cross over the border freely. Those people are hoping that that's a path to citizenship, even though they entered the country illegally. We're doing the exact same thing, bringing as many people here as possible. The difference is we don't have the resources or the money to take care of these people right now. If somebody comes and and claims asylum, we have to take care of them until we can get them through the process. We got to pay for them. We're putting them up in hotels. We're giving them debit cards. We're giving them money. I, I don't understand why we would bring someone here when we have no job for them and when we have nowhere for them to live. It doesn't make any sense. None at all. And that's not a racist comment. Uh, Tucker said the exact same thing. It's just math. If we let in more people than we have houses for, that's a big problem. If we let in more people than we have jobs for, that's another huge problem. If we're going to bring someone to Canada, there has to be a place for them to live. There has to be a means for them to prosper. There has to be a very quick path for them to get off of the government money and get into making their own money and contributing to society and paying taxes, just like the rest of us. I saw a real good clip that got shared yesterday on social. It's from Joe Rogan and his podcast. And while I don't love promoting other podcasts, I mean, in an ideal world, I'd love that you just listen to this one on repeat all the time. That'd be great. But Joe does do a good job. And I think Joe actually explained what's going on in a fairly concise way. This is about a minute long, him explaining how people that used to be just regular run-of-the-mill middle-class people right in the center of politics. You know, they're compassionate on social issues, but they're responsible on financial issues. Got to get your financial house in order, but we never leave behind those who need help. And there's a lot of people who need help. That, in a way, has become an extremist view. People on the far left are now calling people in the center far right-wing extremists. Let me play just a little bit of Joe Rogan for you and how he rationalizes the change, the shift that's gone on in politics. Over time, this is what we're seeing. So over time, you and I, who used to be on the left, are now like, where's the left? Where are you guys? You yeah. guys are so far away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah. can't even see you. Yeah, yeah. You're out of your mind. You're you're, you're fucking chopping dicks off and, and giving little kids <laughs> yeah, yeah. hormone blockers. You have no idea what the long-term consequences are. You're ignoring the health risks. You won't even talk about the health risks. Yeah. You, you use things like g- gender-affirming care. What are you saying? Yeah. What are you saying when you're talking about children? Yeah. Why are you just accepting this? Because it, it's, it's a noble thing to blurt out. So everybody goes, you're on the right team. That's what it is. It's not like, oh, my God, what are we doing to kids? It's not like, oh, my God, what are we doing to San Francisco? It's not like, oh, my God, why are we letting these violent criminals out of jail? It's like, yeah. oh, my God, why are we defunding the fucking police? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. These are all great questions. Why are we doing that? And why can't we have a discussion about it? It wasn't that long ago that the big hot-button issue was schools and transgender students. There was a suggestion that perhaps if kids had decided that they, had, uh, that they wanted a, a gender reassignment or if they wanted to be known by different pronouns, there was a suggestion that maybe we won't tell the parents. Some people tried to claim that that's, that's unfair to the kids 
to tell their parents that they're going by a completely different name and maybe changing their clothes and maybe are inquiring about gender-affirming care. Essentially a sex change operation. And we wouldn't tell the parents. And, and in that conversation, because I think that that's something we need to have a conversation about, people on the far left accused normal people in the center that said, whoa, wait a second here. No, no, no. We don't hide from parents what's going on with their kid at school. We don't do that. They were accused of being homophobic. They were accused of being any number of things opposed to the anti-LGBTQ plus community. And I don't understand why. That's a very uh, simple thing that we should be able to have a conversation about. And there is arguments on both sides. I certainly understand that there's a lot of kids who are afraid to come out at home. And maybe the place that they feel the most safe and comfortable is at school. Everybody should understand that. But do we do that at the expense of parents not knowing? Is there another option? We never even really got a chance to have a discussion about that because everybody on the left started calling everybody in the center and on the right names. Oh, you're a horrible person if you want to tell the parents that these kids want to use different pronouns at school. Can we drop the hyperbole and just have a conversation? Can we please do that? Because frankly, it's getting a little old. I mean, it's never a, it's not a new strategy to call people names and shame them and accuse them of misinformation or being a racist or a misogynist and yada, yada, yada. They've been playing that game for a very long time. But at some point, reasonable people need to be able to have a conversation about these things so we can work out what's best for these families, what's best for these people who would like to go through this process. Uh, the politicians don't want to get involved. They just want to call everybody names who gets involved. It's crazy to me. Climate change, another huge one. Let me bring in uh, John Kerry here. John Kerry is a former candidate for president of the United States. He is one of the top bosses in the U.S. left. He is their climate czar. And he was one of the, the main guys at the World Economic Forum meetings because climate change is something that the World Economic Forum is leaning into hardcore. They want the green revolution. And how are they going to do it? Well, they say we need to get rid of the farms. Apparently, there's a lot of farms that are being bought up. There's a lot of different uh, assaults on the farming industry happening over in Europe. That's why there's so many protests happening over in Europe with farmers. They're blocking streets. They're dumping their, their loads in the middle of roads. There's, there's farmers right now who are essentially fighting for their life because governments are throwing up every obstacle possible to shut down the farming industry. This is where we get our food. Maybe you've heard rumors, and you probably wrote them off because it sounds ludicrous, that the World Economic Forum wants us to start getting used to using more bugs. We're going to have to start eating more bugs because they want to take out the farming industry for the vast majority of the world. It's not a rumor or a conspiracy theory. This is a prominent suggestion from some of those on the extreme left. Here's John Kerry, the American's climate czar. Agriculture contributes about 33% of all the emissions of the world, uh, depending a little bit on how you count it, but it's anywhere from 26 to 33. And we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture this front and center is part of the solution. But with a growing population on the planet, we just crossed the threshold of 8 billion fellow citizens around the world. We just crossed that in this last year. Emissions from the food system alone 
are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century on the current course that we are today. A two degree future could result in an additional 600 million people not getting enough to eat. And you just can't continue to both warm the planet while also expecting to feed it. Doesn't work. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. Why do we have to keep 1.5 degrees alive? Because scientists, as a basis of physics and mathematics, not ideology and politics or party labels or anything else, as a matter of physics and mathematics and some biology and chemistry have told us, these are the consequences. And we already see it happening. And almost everything they've predicted for 30 plus years now is coming true, but the problem is it's coming true faster and bigger than was in fact predicted. Everybody see what's going on there? I mean, they claim it's science and you can't argue with science. They claim that they are the ones who are gonna save the world by taking out farming. That doesn't add up. We have a global population to feed. We should have more farms than ever before. But they will grab this position and they will tell you, no, 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 you either believe in this or you are part of the problem. And, and they're going to convince people, make no mistake, using hyperbole just like that, they're going to find a way to try and eliminate farming and convince people that they should be eating bugs and synthetic foods and things like that. I highly recommend that if you don't already, you should learn how to garden and you should start growing your own food at home. A lot of farmland is getting bought up. A lot of regulations are being put on farmers. A lot of high taxes are being put on farmers right now, like carbon taxes, because we're trying to make, sorry, not we're, they're trying to make farmers out to be enemy number two in the war against climate change right behind carbon emissions because they also want to shut down the gas. Uh, let me play a little bit more of John Kerry. This is a separate thing. This is him speaking at the World Economic Forum. Earth's future hangs in the balance. All because some extremist political voices hold out nations and vastly vested interests have declared war on facts and science. All because they distort for political and personal gain what science and common sense dictate we humans must do in order to put our house in order. These interests would actually choose a destructive status quo over the opportunity to build a clean energy economy which can rescue our future, put millions of people to work, and leave us all safer, stronger, more secure. Without facts, or economics on their side. They flatly deny what is happening to our planet and what we must do to save it. They incite a movement against what they falsely label. That's how he's gonna do it. That's how they're gonna try and convince people. They're gonna tell you that all the facts line up, all the scientists agree, every single one of them, that we've gotta do it the way we wanna do it and the vast majority of it is take out the farms and make people pay for it through carbon taxes. That's the goal. That's the play. And when they say things like that from a big authoritative bully pulpit there, when they say things like these are the facts, the facts do not agree here. There's many, many scientists 
who have a differing opinion. There's a lot of people around the world who might say things like, yeah, we can totally achieve net zero or get real, real close in our lifetime. But we can't do it at, at the expense of everything that we've got. We need oil. We need natural gas. We can't just turn it off now and rely on the solar panels and, and wind farms. It just doesn't work that way. Are those great to have? Yeah, great. If it contributes a little bit of power to the grid, I would think that not only is that green energy, it's cheap energy. It wasn't that much to generate. But I don't even see hydro bills going down for all the hydro that apparently is being created from solar and wind. I, I, don't, I haven't once seen a rebate on it saying, hey, we didn't have to burn any natural gas to heat your home this week, so we just use wind power, so you're going to get a little credit. I, I don't see that happening. To command control over the facts like you're right and everyone else is wrong is misleading. Yeah, the climate is changing. The planet is changing. The climate has always been changing, and the planet has always been changing. These people don't know. They have an agenda that they want to implement, and many, many, many of them are not only going to get wealthy beyond belief from transitioning the entire world to a green economy. They're going to get really, really rich from doing that. They're going to be the ones who are the leaders, the bosses. They're basically installing themselves as in charge. We need to have a conversation about stuff like this. The problem is when you get uh, stuff like that, just insisting we're right and, and anyone who disagrees is wrong, that's wrong. There are some facts in dispute here. Even Alberta. Alberta is, they're getting ready to double oil production. Alberta is about to make a lot of money. Premier Danielle Smith is doing a lot of things right out there. And, and she is going to take advantage of the vast resources that Alberta has in oil. They're going to use it. They're going to sell it. The world needs it. The world wants it. That's how the world works. Can you imagine if, if Alberta just had to take all the oil that they've got, all the money that that generates for us, and just leave it in the ground and, and just start creating solar panels and building more hybrid or, or electric vehicles as a solution? That's not the solution. We need to be able to have a civil conversation about stuff just like this. Let's go back to COVID for a second. Remember during COVID, they did the exact same thing. We're right. The scientists agree. There is no disputing it. You either believe this or you are an asshole or you are a climate denier or you are anti-science, anti-vax. They label people so often and it's gross. But we remember that during COVID, they silenced all of the dissenting voices. They knew best. They told us those shots will stop transmission. They told us that if we want to protect grandma and grandpa, we need to get that shot. They wouldn't let people get on airplanes without it. They wouldn't let people cross the border without it. Well, turns out we didn't know everything. Let me play a little report here from a news station in Orlando. Five's Hannah McKenzie is joining us live in the Alert Center tonight. So Hannah, he says what's in the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines is a problem. Yeah, Luann, John, Florida Surgeon General Dr. Ladipo says he has safety concerns pertaining to the discovery of billions of DNA fragments found per dose in the Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccines. And he says those concerns have not been addressed by the FDA or the CDC. Dr. Ladipo says if the risks of DNA integration with 
with COVID vaccines cannot be addressed, then the vaccines aren't appropriate for use in humans. He says he sent letters to the heads of the FDA and the CDC, specifically questioning how this was impact humans in three main areas. Healthy human genes being transformed into cancerous cells, chromosomal instability, and how the integration could affect unintended parts of the body, such as the heart, brain, lungs, even the injection site itself. We asked local doctor Michael Sparks to weigh in. Dr. Sparks telling us with the state surgeon general saying one thing and the FDA another, health providers are left stuck in the middle. You know, new things are scary. Um, we, if we look back historically, we've introduced new medications that we were told were very safe, were going to be very effective, and they turned out not to be safe or effective, and they caused a lot of birth defects, things like that. So it's not unreasonable to be worried about things that are new. Listen, when crazy people on the left start screaming at the top of their lungs, we're right, and if you disagree, you're gonna get this label, and we're gonna shame you, and we're gonna cancel you, and we're gonna take away your career, and we're gonna limit your ability to travel. When all that shit starts happening, I start to wonder now what's up. I'm really wondering what's up, because the CDC, the FDA, Health Canada, all of these people insisted, not only were they right, not only was it safe and effective, so much so that they were going to divide the entire country over it. They insisted they were right. And if you disagreed with them, you had to be silenced. I think that's part of the reason that one of the first steps after COVID was to try and regulate social media, give the government control over the algorithms and things like that. We know that government themselves specifically reached out to social media platforms to get certain individuals censored. And then we learned stuff like this. Forgive us for being a little skeptical when you guys stand at that bully pulpit and start screaming that you're an asshole if you don't want to take this vaccine when now we know that we didn't know everything we needed to know to make an informed decision about whether or not we wanted that vaccine. And by the way, if you took it, good. Good for you. You made a personal health choice for you, and you're allowed to do that. What bothers me is the the shaming and demonization of the people who were skeptical, that had questions, that didn't want to take this necessarily until we learned a little more. They got shouted down. They got called names. Many of them lost their jobs. It was absolutely sick and disgusting what happened there. Uh, anyway, back to climate change. Good luck to these farmers that are now protesting. I, I know that in Poland they've started, the Scottish farmers have started, the French, the Romanian, the Germans. That's good. I'm glad farmers are standing up for their ability to farm. And thank God that we've got farmers out there that are willing to do it. Because frankly, without farmers, we have nothing. Now we are paying a lot more for that food though. Man, you don't have to go very far. Look at the grocery stores. You'll see it's up. And by the way, I don't think I'm crazy here. Prices did drop a little bit in the fall, but as soon as that Christmas rush came on, whoo, man, did they raise those prices in that week to 10 days right before Christmas, and they haven't gone back down yet. And that's a concern. I still think it has to. There's no way it can't have something to do with the carbon tax. Well, we're going to have an election probably sometime in 2025, I think, about carbon tax. And it's very simple. The Trudeau liberals have doubled down. They want to make you pay to change the weather. 
They're going to make you pay out the nose to change the weather. They're now quadrupling the carbon tax, and we find out they're also charging HST on top of the tax. It's a tax on a tax after they tax the income that you earned to pay that tax. It's messed up. Pierre Polyev says he will axe the tax. I do have some questions about that. I'd really love to get Pierre on the podcast or on one of our radio shows because I want to ask him, is this day one and how long till it comes out? There's a lot of people who need relief right now that have been stretched to the limit by the Bank of Canada. The Bank of Canada came out yesterday and announced that they are holding interest rates where they are. They say inflation is still high and they need to get it under control. My thoughts on the world, or not the world, <laughs> I almost said the World Economic Forum again. Uh, they have a lot to do with the central bank, I think, though. Anyway, the Bank of Canada has one job to get inflation under control. They didn't do their job. Inflation got wildly out of control. They didn't flag it. They didn't tell the Canadian people. They didn't tell the opposition. They didn't go to the governor general. They didn't do anything. They just let it happen. They allowed Trudeau to keep printing more money. Well, now inflation through the roof and interest rates have gone from, what was it, 1% to now 5%. There are people out there with around a million-dollar mortgage, which is kind of common these days, a million-dollar mortgage. Houses were selling for a lot for a while there. That million-dollar mortgage has gone up thousands of dollars a month. If we eliminate the carbon tax, that'll give people a little bit of relief. That will also knock a couple of points off of inflation because people are paying less. But that's not the only problem here. We've got the Bank of Canada itself now that has made the cost of, of housing yourself so expensive that they themselves are contributing to the inflation that they say they're trying to combat. That's right. They themselves are part of the problem because in, uh, interest rates are so high. So let's go back to yesterday. That son of a bitch, Tiff Macklem, coming out trying to justify leaving rates where they are and not giving Canadians a break, even though inflation is down to roughly 3%. Our message today is twofold. First, monetary policy is working to relieve price pressures, and we need to stay the course. Well, right off the bat, he's wrong. It's not working. They told us two years ago when they started raising interest rates like a bunch of animals that we will raise interest rates and that will bring inflation down. They raise them so much that people are losing their homes. People are going homeless because of the Bank of Canada. There are companies laying people off. There are construction companies that would like to be part of the solution and building homes, but because interest rates are so high, they don't want to bother making that substantial capital investment. And in some cases, they can't afford it. In other cases, they would have to sell it for way more than people are prepared to spend because the carrying costs of those loans is so high. If it was working, Tiff, interest rates would have gone down. But it's not working. It's not working. Now you're just punishing people. The greatest transfer of wealth in human history happened in the last three years when these banks started taking people's money. That's when it happened. They are taking money from the middle class and pocketing it. This money extra that you're paying on your mortgage payment every month or that you're paying in rent because the person who owns the property is paying higher interest rates, all of that is found money being gifted to the bank. The Bank of Canada is not an efficient operation. It's not doing well. 
costs us way too much money. We don't even need a central bank in this country. I don't know why we still have it. I don't know why we have a person, government appointed, whose sole job is to look after inflation. Inflation got out of control, and when they try and get it back under control, they don't have to consider any other factors. They don't have to consider, well, if we do this, we're going to screw over a ton of people. People are going to lose their homes. There's going to be evictions. It's going to be a hot mess. They don't even need to think about that. They don't need to think about the fact that 2 million Canadians are using food banks. They don't need to. That's not their concern. Their only concern is inflation. And inflation is still so high that they can't lower interest rates, they say. I think it would go a long way to start lowering interest rates now. Let's hear a little more of Tiff. Inflation is coming down as higher interest rates restrain demand in the economy. But inflation is still too high and underlying inflationary pressures persist. We need to give these higher interest rates time to do their work. Second, it's two years, you asshole. Two years you've been doing this and screwing people. It's not working. And by the way, inflation went up in December. Again, the bank itself is part of the problem. Carbon tax is another huge part of the problem. With overall demand in the economy no longer running ahead of supply, Governing Council's discussion of monetary policy is shifting from whether our policy rate is restrictive enough to restore price stability to how long it needs to stay at the current level. Notre message aujourd'hui est en deux. His French isn't very good either. I, uh, uh, fuck, this bank, man, this bank, what they've done to people is shameful. Government spending caused this problem. Bankers seized on an opportunity to take that money that people had and give it to themselves. The Bank of Canada, while all this misery and hardship is going on, is paying themselves bonuses. They think they're doing a great job. They think they're entitled to five and six figure bonuses. When in reality, they've done nothing but shit the bed time after time after time. How much rope do we give this guy? It's been two years of raising interest rates. Now they've left them alone for three straight months and nobody's any further ahead. None of us are. We cooled the demand in the economy. Bullshit you did. That's not what you did. You took all of the disposable income out of Canadians' pockets. You also watched them rack up massive credit card and lines of credit debt that they'll take decades to pay off. You let it all happen, and you guys are the ones making the money off of it. We've got a federal government here that knows that's what's going on, and they're not doing anything about it. They freak out. Oh, no, no, you can't criticize the central bank. They need to be independent. They're not independent. They are not independent. They're intimately involved with the federal government. They're appointed by the federal government. This claim that they need to be independent is complete and total nonsense. Every single one of us should be able to question the Bank of Canada and these ludicrous decisions that they are making. It's completely crazy that we have to sit back and just pay, pay, pay. People didn't exactly have a whole lot of disposable income to begin with. They didn't. And the bank has taken what they got left. They found the sweet spot. They found the sweet spot where they can take as much as humanly possible without quite sending the economy into a complete financial ruin. 
that still might happen. They may not be able to stop that train now that it's left the station. They might not be able to. We might be going there. We might end up there anyway because there's so many people coming here that need money, and we're just giving it to them, but regular Canadians are suffering. It's unbelievable. Let's go back to last night. I mentioned at the beginning that the great premier of Alberta, Danielle Smith, was also on the bill with Tucker Carlson when he was giving his speech in Alberta yesterday. Danielle Smith talked a little bit about our environment minister. Listen to this. If you know much about Stephen Gibault, I don't know if I've ever heard you. I'm, I'm wanting to learn less, just by your description. <laughs> well, one thing I find so offensive, I mean, you talk about uh, uh, the disrespect to our province. This is a guy who is an environmental advocate. He's best known for scaling the CN Tower in opposition of fossil fuels when he was working as an environmental advocate. But he also scaled the house of our premier. So he's a rock climber, not an engineer. Maybe he'd be better at that. But imagine that. Imagine somebody going and taking a criminal offense, going onto the roof of a premier, and then they make that person in charge of trying to dictate to us how to pull our resources out of ground, how to manage our natural resources, how to how to manage our electricity grid. That's what Justin Trudeau has done. So I'm trying to get him fired, and I would love your help on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An environment minister that is in lockstep with the U.S. climate czar. This is what they want. It's unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable. There are so many things happening in our country right now that I just don't understand. And we aren't talking about it nearly as much as we should. So I guess my message to you here is don't be afraid of the label. Don't be afraid of it. Because when you encounter... These people who are hell-bent on taking away all the gas, making everyone buy an electric vehicle that want to cancel all farming and make sure that we're eating bugs and shit like that, synthetic meats, once somebody starts screaming that that's the only way, don't be afraid that they're going to call you a tinfoil-wearing-hat asshole. You don't need to be afraid that they're going to call you an extremist. If they call you a racist, if they call you a misogynist, all of those things, the typical go-tos, that's the thing, right? They disagree, they start calling you names, and they shame you. Stop being afraid of it. Start saying how you feel. The polls are starting to show how people feel. The fact that so many people who probably would not have voted conservative in the past, they just don't like conservatives, they feel like it's uh, too far to the right, whatever, are now excited to vote for Pierre Polyev. Hey, I'm not here to carry water for Pierre Polyev. I've never even met the man. I've only ever seen his clips on TV and on, on social media. But I can tell you, anybody whose plan is to cut expenses for the middle class is someone that I'm interested in hearing more about. Anyone who truly gets what the middle class is going through in Canada, they get my vote. What I want to know from Pierre is, is this a day one? And how long will it take? Are you going to get elected and say, yep, we're going to ax the tax. We're just going to float a little bill through Parliament. It'll take about six months for that to get approved. And then we got to give companies notice and reprogram all the cash registers. Ah, two years and the carbon tax will be gone. That's not good enough. It's got to come off right away. In fact, I think you should put people in notice. There's a couple of weeks between when a prime minister is elected and when they officially take office. I think on election night, he should put people on notice. If you're charging a carbon tax, get it gone because a new law is coming and it's coming right away because people can't wait any longer. 
People can't wait any longer. And that's what our federal officials here don't seem to understand. Our finance minister is completely disconnected from reality. She's not even trying to answer questions anymore. She just goes off on talking points that people don't give a shit about. They don't care about how many people the liberals have allegedly pulled out of poverty. Nobody even believes that. Nobody believes that. How many people did you put in poverty? A hell of a lot. It was a hell of a lot. Before I go, there's just a couple more things that I want to weigh in on here because I think sort of the theme of this podcast is, A, stand up for yourself. Respectfully, let's have some discussion about some of the things that are going on in the world, but let's do it respectfully. You can think that these people on the left, I, I do, are, are bordering on crazy at this point. Shut down all the farms and charge people excessive amounts of money to change the weather. And while all this is going on, while people are at their most vulnerable, we're also going to jack interest rates up as high as possible so that the bankers can get rich. I think what's going on is crazy, but I would be labeled. There's probably people listening to this pod right now thinking, wow, what a right-wing extremist. These aren't extremist views. These are normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill, middle-class, common views. The problem is people on the left have gone so far to the left be, under the leadership of Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh that people who were in the center, that didn't really even have a political affiliation, didn't even really care about politics, are now card-carrying conservatives paying 80 bucks to go and see Tucker Carlson in, in uh, Alberta and, and just counting down the days until we have an election. That's what we've been driven to. And we're still getting shamed for talking about it. The federal conservatives are calling on the Trudeau government to re-implement visa requirements for people coming here from Mexico. Asylum claims from Mexico have shot up since the government lifted the visa requirement in 2016, allowing them to fly here freely and make an asylum claim as soon as they meet our border officials. The rate of Mexican applicants who actually get granted refugee status far below claimants from other countries, but it's a long process. It puts a strain on the asylum system and it creates delays for legitimate claimants. Why did we take the visa requirement off? Again, we're not by land connected to Mexico. If they want to come to Canada, they can drive all the way across the U.S., but if they do that, they've got to declare asylum in the first country that they land in, which would be America. So no, Mexicans really didn't have a claim to asylum in Canada. So the liberals took away the visa requirement. It used to be you needed a visa to even board the plane to come to Canada. Now they can fly here, and as soon as they touch Canadian soil and get in front of a Canadian border services agent, they can say, I am declaring asylum. I'm requesting asylum. Then we got to go through the whole fucking process. Where are you going to stay? Uh, do you need a debit card? Do you need a hotel? What can we do for you? And eventually, they'll probably be sent back. Like I said, Mexican uh, asylum claims don't go through very often. There's people coming from other countries that are in much more dire straits that need asylum more than the Mexican people do. So usually they get sent back and deported, but there's a lot of fraud in the system. There's a lot of waste in the system, and it's very, very frustrating. What else is going on? The city of Toronto looking to bring its various boards and agencies under a single IT system 
in an effort to avoid another cyber attack. Toronto got hit with two notable ones over the past few months. One, the Toronto Public Library in October. It crippled the system for months, making it far too difficult for patrons to use computers and borrow things. Another targeted the Toronto Zoo. That was just a few weeks ago. The city says neither the zoo nor the library were part of their central IT systems prior to the attack. Wait a minute. So you guys have got this massive budget crisis, and apparently there's just no fat to trim. The only solution out of this is the federal government and the province need to give us more money. I thought that you guys in Toronto dotted the I's and crossed the T's on this, and you mean to tell me that you've got a central IT system for most of Toronto, but then a completely other IT system for the zoo, and a completely other one for the library. Who else has got their own IT system? Put it all on the same server and have one really smart and well-staffed team look after everything. Why? Why did they have their own system? So what, different offices, different computers, different protocols, different rules, different people? Why? Stuff like that is just... It's a waste. And when governments say we need to raise taxes and we still need more money from the feds, come on, get your shit together first. Find every efficiency you can before you come to the people and tell them you need more money. Do we need to be building more bike lanes right now? Uh, in Hamilton, this is a, a big debate. Just had this today and what you need to know. The city revealed a $60 million pitch to build more bike lanes faster is the result of council asking for it, for a plan to speed up the cycling plan. They want to put in 119 new kilometers of bike lanes. In total, almost 1,000 kilometers of bike lanes by the time it's done. $60 million. To paint a fucking line 1,000 kilometers long is $60 million? you got to be kidding me. Residents have a right to be angry when they're being handed a massive new tax bill, a massive increase, and they don't see anything going on. Or they see money getting spent on stuff like this. I'm not saying bike lanes aren't necessary. There's a lot of places where they should be banned, frankly, because no, you don't need to be able to bike on every single patch of road in a city. But cars do need to get down those roads, and frankly, they don't mix very well together. We should be able to discuss that. We should be able to talk about it. But apparently, you're just some right-wing nut if you oppose that. In Cambridge, Fun Guy's Magic Mushroom Dispensary on King Street in Cambridge got a visit from the cops yesterday. Police would only confirm an investigation was taking place. This dispensary has been operating without a business license and selling magic mushrooms illegally since November when it opened up. That dispensary was raided in November, two weeks after they opened, it got raided by the cops. One person was arrested and charged, but the dispensary reopened again the very next day. And of course, it just got raided again yesterday on January 24th. I just want to be clear. How long can I sell illegal drugs for before the cops are going to get involved? Because it seems like they got two good weeks of sales out of it. Then they got raided. Minor inconvenience. They opened up again the next day, and they've been operating now, so let's say all of December and most of January. Selling illegal drugs. Y you mean in, like, almost two months, there wasn't a cop available to go in and say, hey, you're doing something illegal, shut her down. We're going to lay some charges here. I don't understand what's going on. It's almost like we're being 
told that, that right is left and left is right. Stuff that we've known all our lives. Selling drugs, illicit drugs is illegal. You can't do it. And yet it doesn't seem like anyone cares. Can I set up a hut in my driveway and sell cocaine? Nearest I can tell, I'll get about two good weeks of sales out of it. Maybe I'll make some great money before I have to shut it down, before anyone will give a shit. It's bizarre to me. I just don't understand what's going on. It's very, very frustrating, and I know I'm not alone. I get DMs from people every single day. You wouldn't believe the stories that people tell me. They confide in me because they feel like they don't have a voice anywhere else. And I try to echo some of that sentiment here on the podcast. I'm not just speaking as me today. I am speaking for the people who don't have a voice, and namely the middle class. There is a full-blown assault on the middle class. They are screwing you on your mortgage and your rent. They are screwing you at the grocery store. They are screwing you with a carbon tax. Every single one of these things seems to be designed to eliminate the middle class. That's all I can think is that that's the goal. What else could it possibly be? And they're not even subtle about it. If you disagree with them screwing you over, you're the problem. And some people actually believe that. They've been shamed into thinking they're the problem. It's wild to me. It's absolutely wild. And where's the accountability? Well, in a normal circumstance, we would expect our leaders to be accountable to us, the people. We elected them. In theory, we elected them. There's been some very, very questionable shit going on with elections in America and in Canada. Where's the inquiry? Why hasn't that happened yet? Why? We had a prime minister that just yesterday we found out this prime minister illegally violated the charter rights of Canadians by freezing their bank accounts when they were involved in a protest. Unnecessary. Unfair. Where's the accountability? Will this prime minister step down? No. He's not going to fucking step down. You see him last night at that PWHL game? Put his jersey on and he's just clapping like an asshole. Watch the video. I'm not being... No, I don't like the guy that much anymore. But either way, watch that video. Something's not right there. Something's not right. It's weird. It's like he came and visited my hut that I set up at the end of the driveway. But anyway, he's not going to step down. And we should have checks and balances for this. The opposition should be able to question the government at any time. But it's called question period, not answer period. And nobody answers questions during question period. It's all just talking points. Where's our governor general? We got Mary there, Mary Simon, living at Rideau Hall, building up a big fucking bill for just about everything. This woman doesn't do anything cheap. She's living life pretty high on the hog. But she also has a job to do. She's there as the monarchy's representative in Canada. She has the power to dissolve parliament when the government has lost the confidence of the House. Well, we know that because of this coalition between the Liberals and the NDP, they have enough votes that we can't vote non-confidence. Even if everybody else, the Conservatives and the Bloc, even if they voted together, the Liberals and, conserv- the Liberals and NDP have enough votes that there won't be non-confidence declared. Well, you just have to look at the polls. You just have to look at what's going on in the country. Go take a walk down through the Byward Market, Mary, in Ottawa there, and talk to people. You'll find out very, very quickly that our representatives in Ottawa 
particularly ones from the Liberal and NDP parties, are not speaking for their constituents. Name a Liberal riding. Name one of them. Are they representing their people and going to Ottawa and saying, hey, listen, 80% of my residents don't fucking like this. They can't afford this. They're going broke. They're using food banks. 80% of my constituents don't like this shit. That MP should vote against the government, but they won't. They won't because they're opportunistic and they're looking to cover their own butt. And that's why when we do have an election and dozens and dozens and dozens of these people lose their seats, I hope nobody feels bad for them. But since these MPs are not echoing the sentiment of their constituents, the governor general has to step in here. The governor general should be calling Justin Trudeau over to her place and saying, it really seems like the country has lost faith in you. A lot of people are calling for an election here. Why should I not dissolve parliament and drop a writ to call for an election? Give me a reason that I shouldn't do that. I can't think of one. I can't think of one reason that we shouldn't have an election right now. But people need their opportunity to speak. People need to be heard. People are just in a real bad way right now and they're feeling helpless and the government is not reflecting their values at this point again you can see it in the polls you can see it or hear it when you talk to people they don't like what's going on here right now and frankly that should mean election that should mean we get to vote again that should mean we get an opportunity to have a say and that's being taken away from us right now I don't know why the governor general hasn't done anything. Does she even know she can? She certainly can. Does she know that? Has anybody explained it to her? And why are so many liberal MPs so hitched to Justin Trudeau that they're turning on their own constituents? I don't get it. I really don't. But the time for people to have their say is coming soon. Hopefully sooner than later because people can't afford to go much longer the way it's going. The Bank of Canada needs to not just lower interest rates. They need to lower interest rates a lot. We know that they're not going to go back to the rock bottom rates that they were. They've already said that because they realized, well, we can still charge people like 1% to 2% and make a fortune. Well, right now they're charging 5 It's got to change. Get rid of it. I can live with 3% inflation. I'll say it. If this is what it needs to be, 3% inflation, to get the interest rates back down, I'm in. I'll pay it. I'll agree to do it. Hey, once people get some disposable income back in their pocket, watch how quickly things start to turn around. People don't have any money right now, and it's turning into a shit show out there. The amount of crime always goes up when people are broke, when people are desperate. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Crime is going through the roof. Do you know how many mental health calls cops are dealing with right now? It's fucking crazy. It's crazy how many people are suffering right now. And nobody is doing anything about it. The government keeps doubling down on making every one of these problems worse. We have a housing crisis. And they're still continuously letting more people come into the country. We, we have too many people making illegitimate asylum claims. The government won't reimpose the visas. We have grocery chains that are charging us up the ass just to eat. 
The government said they would do something about it. They put on a big show about, hey, we're going to have committee hearings. Nothing's been done about it. The government says if you pay more tax, we can change the weather. Hopefully people are starting to catch on. Hopefully people are starting to realize this government is not in it for you. They are in it for themselves or for someone else. It's very, very shameful. The middle class is suffering. Something needs to change. Thank you for listening to this episode of After 9. See you tomorrow. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.